I want to welcome everyone to Drisha's Fall Programming and the fourth part out of six-part session course on the laws of Kashrut and Jewish-Gentile relations by Dr. Shana Stroud-Schiff. Uh, thank you so much. And um, welcome back, everyone. It's uh, good to be here in our uh, fourth class on the laws of uh, Kashrut and Jewish-Gentile relations. So we're going to continue our discussion from last time where we began talking about pot akum, the bread baked by a non-Jew. Now we didn't get so uh, far, so we are going to be looking at the same uh, text we saw last time, the source book, the collections that I sent. And we, I, I did add a few more that hopefully we will be able to cover this time. And I've also put in, English uh, translations for all the Talmudic uh, texts that we're going to look at. So hopefully I'll make it easier um, for some people to uh, follow along. So we've already done the first uh, part of the uh, uh, sources, which is the prohibition. Um, so just to review what we've already seen. Um, we're, Go, make this bigger. Okay, we're, so we are dealing with the prohibition of pot akum, bread baked by Ananju. And of course, this is found in our Mishnah in Avodah Zarah 2, uh, 6, which lists all these various uh, products which were made prohibited by the rabbis, not because they're unkosher per se, but rather to uh, often to pre 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 prevent. Uh, too much mixing between Jews and non-Jews. Now this is part, particularly the case with bread when there isn't really anything non-kosher that could be a put in it. Usually it's just flour and water, uh, basically. And so we uh, saw that the really main reason for this prohibition is intermarriage. And we saw, you know, lest you come to have their oil and then their wine. If you drink together, you mix together. And if you mix together, then you may marry each other. And if you marry each other, then that leads to basically um, leaving a, a, a Judaism and halacha. And in this case, of tractate of Odeh worshiping idolatry. Um, so that's the reason for the prohibition. Meaning as opposed to a bishalakum, the food cooked by Ananju, we saw that there were two reasons are given. One was if you eat together, you may come to mix and then that could lead to ultimate intermarriage. But also the fear that if a non-Jew cooks your uh, food, they might add non-kosher ingredients uh, to it. So that had more of a concern for uh, trif, for uh, kashrut. Whereas bread, it seems to be a purely uh, social issue. Um, okay, so now, we're going to analyze what is the relationship between Bishal Akum and Apat Akum? Because as I mentioned last time, if you can't have the food cooked by a non-Jew, well then obviously you can't have the bread baked by a non-Jew as well. Baking bread uh, falls under the category of, of cooking uh, food. Um, so the question is, are they really one in the same prohibition? Or are they two uh, different ones with two different uh, set of halachot, which applies uh, to them? So um, we had already seen um, the first, I mean, in, in number uh, two on uh, page one of the horses, the Amara and the Bavli Avodazar Lamachet Amabet. We had read through that last time. So um, I brought a few again, and this time I brought the English as well. And in, you see in A, B, C, and D, as I labeled it now, it uh, talks about uh, different ways that a Jew could be involved, either in uh, cooking food or baking a uh, bread. So in A, B, and C, it's, it's uh, talking about when one uh, cooks. And in each of these lines of the Gemara, a Jew has to be involved. So I'll just read it through again um, to review. So this is in Gemara Vodazarah, uh, the first line says, and I labeled it A, eat a bailu. And you have the English uh, below and you can uh, follow along 
A to A, so it makes it easier to see where the English uh, tr uh, translation is. So A, Ibailu. Uh, Tulema was raised before the rabbi. So they raised the following uh, question. What if a non-Jew puts the food on the fire and the Jew uh, turns it over? So this is uh, a text we had saw in our discussion of official Akum, when a non-Jew uh, cooks food. So what if a Jew uh, turns the food over? So in B, Amar Rabbi Nachum Bar Yitzchak, so Rabbi Nachum Bar Yitzchak says, Kal Vechomer. Obviously, it's okay. If Mutar, if it would be okay with a non-Jew come completes the uh, cooking, how much more so should it be allowed if it's a Jew who completes the uh, cooking? It's Marnami. Then in C, it, it brings a related halacha, um, or related statement. So it's two different traditions about who a quoted Rabbi Yochanan says as uh, follows. Whether it's a Jew who put the food on the fire and a non-Jew who uh, turns it over, or a non-Jew put the food on the fire and a Jew who uh, turns it over, the food is allowed. This is not a bishal akum. It's only prohibited if the whole cooking had been done by a non-Jew. So this is all about uh, bishal, uh, cooking. Then in a D, it seems to take a shift. Amar Ravina. Ravina said, Hilchatak, the law is, Ha Rifta de Shagar Oveit Kochavim Bafa Yisrael. If you have um, bread baked in an oven, that, uh, well, Rashi says Rifta means oven. So, anyways, you have an oven that uh, a non that a non-Jew of Yuled and a Jew of baked in. Or a Jew of Yuled and a non-Jew of baked in. Or a non-Jew of Yuled and a baked in it. And all a Jew did was stoke the coals. Shafir Dami, that is okay. So only in this last case, does it raise the possibility that doking the coals is an adequate amount of intervention for a Jew to make the food not kosher? So the a question is, since that was about a fa, a baking, is that leniency about uh, doking the coals limited to baking bread to pot akum? Or does it also apply to Abishal Akum? Now, since we learned Abishal Akum, we know that the Ashkenazim wanted to apply that to um, Abishal Akum as well. But I'm going back to the uh, basics here and want to know, is there a difference between Abishal Akum and Apat Akum? Or in other words, why do we have to have a separate class on a pot akum? Why couldn't we just have a bishal akum? And from there we know about pot akum as well. So in the next uh, source, you have the Ran, uh, Rabbeinu Nisim from uh, Girona, a medieval uh, commentator on uh, the Bavli. He brings the following reasons for why the a Mishnah lists pot and shalakot as two different categories. And why couldn't we just have a shalakot, food cooked by non-Jews? And from there we know that pot akum, bread baked by non-Jews, is also obviously prohibited as well. So the rhyme gives two answers. So um, he says, mifarash b'gemara, so it's explained in the gemara, that the prohibition against eating bread baked by a non-Jew is due to a uh, um, uh, fear that'll lead to intermarriage. And also oil, and even cooked food as well. Remember, Rashi explained that also the reason for a bishalakum for food food cooked by Nanju was also one of a fear of intermarriage as well. The imtomar, olive atap means imtomar, if you'll say, imkain amai palginu tana dematnisin. 
if hadakum and abishal arkum are for the same reason, and they both are really the same uh, thing, why then does the Mishnah separate them? The Atarte, why are they listed as two uh, separate prohibitions? Both bread and cooked food are prohibited because a non-Jew uh, cooks it and because there's a fear that it'll lead to intermarriage. So aren't these just the same prohibition, asked the Ron. So he gives two reasons. The first reason the Ron gives is, so one is Yeshlamar, Yudlam, it is Yeshlamar, so some say, so Yeshlamar Shte Gizerot. These are actually two uh, different decrees that the students of uh, Shammai and Hillel made. That first they were first they made a decree against bread and wine and bread and oil because of wine. So the first the decree was made by the students of Hillel and Ashamai, very early rabbis. And first, the decree was only against eating pots akum, a bread, bread made by Ananju, lest you come to have their wine, what we saw. Because both oil and bread are very much tied to wine. Oil, because it's a, li a liquid like wine, and oil, because it's very uh, uh, common. It's what everyone ate. Basically, that was what one's diet consisted of. So oil is like wine in that it's also a liquid. And because bread was just such a prevalent and a constant a presence at every meal, um, therefore, and people eat it, people are always eating bread. And therefore, that was the first prohibition that was made. But originally, the first uh, decree was not against cooked food. First, we have a prohibition against wine. That's its own uh, thing. Then the early rabbis also made a decree against oil because it's so much like wine and bread because it's such a constant uh, presence at every meal. But originally, there was no decree against eating uh, food cooked by Ananji. But then Asa Beidin Acharina, and then a later Abeidin came, Vegazril, and later on, another court said, you know what, let's just prohibit all cooked food made by non-Jews, lest it lead to intermarriage. So that's why in the Mishnah, these are split up into two separate decrees. So really, yes, these are ultimately the same prohibition, but because they weren't made at the same uh, uh, time, they were his, uh, historically uh, different, that's why they're not listed together in the uh, Mishnah. But according to this, their laws might be the, the same. It's just because they weren't made at the same time. So the uh, Mishnah wants to preserve the historical uh, record of these Zerah, that originally they were not the, the same. First, only bread was prohibited along with oil because of wine. And then only later, all cooked food was made prohibited as well. So this is a historical reason, says the Ron. So I'll put this here. Um, now, but then the Ron gives another reason. So that's the reason he gave the Yesh Omrim, that other uh, people said. The linear, but in my opinion, says the Ron, The Ron says was actually 
a deeper reason. And it's not just a historical reason. There's rather a more fundamental difference between a bishalakum and patakum. And I'll, I'll translate what I just read, that when it comes to bread, if the bread belongs to a non-Jew, even if a Jew uh, bakes it, since it was the non-Jew who, who needed it and worked it, and since this bread actually belongs to the non-Jew, it is always going to be prohibited, no matter what level of involvement the Jew has in the baking a process. So says the Ron, pot akum is much more stringent. And as long as a non-Jew owns the bread, it is always going to be not a kosher. Even if the Jew flips the bread, turns it on, you know, turns on the oven, no matter what a Jew does, the bread will always be pro prohibited, says the Ron. So then um, what do we do with the text we just saw? Remember in a D in the in the Bavli, uh, so yeah, we just saw it said that Abina said if you have bread that either the Jew uh, fueled the oven or uh, baked it or even uh, doped the, the coals that makes it okay. Well, how could that make it okay if, according to the Ron, as long as a Benanju owns the bread, it's always going to be not a kosher? So the Ron is going to have to say. Um, so I'll just read inside. When the Amara says that as long as a Jew does one of these three jobs with bread, it's okay. That must be where it's the Jew who owns the bread. And uh, therefore, it's not an issue of patakum. It's then an issue of bisholakum. Uh, and when it comes to bisholakum, uh, as long as a Jew is involved in the cooking in you know, any way, that makes it a kosher. So Sharei, so I'll just finish reading. So this is where it's Jew-owned bread. As long as a Jew owns the bread, then at, at most, it'll be a problem of being cooked by a non-Jew. So if it's a bishul akum of a bread, meaning Jewish-owned bread being cooked by a non-Jew, as long as the Jew is involved in one of the, you know, one of those uh, steps, lighting the fire, putting the bread in the oven or stoking uh, the coals, that takes care of the Bishal Akum problem. But if it's non-Jew owned bread, even if a Jew were to uh, bake it, if a Jew puts it in the oven, it is still prohibited. And that's why the Mishnah lists Pat Akum and Abishal Akum as two uh, different halachot, says the Rock. So he gives two different answers. First, he says, why are they listed as two uh, different uh, prohibitions in the uh, Mishnah? Either it's a historical reason. Um, they are the result of the same prohibition, sorry, i.e. Abishal Akum. But because they were made at two different times, that's why the Mishnah lists them as two different categories, just to preserve the historicity of the Gezerah. Uh, that's the first answer that the Ron gives. But the one he prefers is why are they two a different Gezerah? Because they are two fundamentally uh, different Isurim with each having their own set of Halachot. Okay. Pat akum being much more uh, strict than a bishal akum. Whereas in the case of pat akum, if a non-Jew owns the bread, that bread is now prohibited to be eaten. No matter what a Jew does, if you can put it in the oven and you can light the uh, fire, that won't help. Pat akum basically has no help uh, for it, says the Ron. A bishal akum, on the other hand, then we have all the uh, kulot, which we learned about in the uh, previous week. You can put it in the oven, and you can adjust the flame. All that will work by an abishal akum. So they are, are different because because they are, are different. They're not the same 
Isurim at all. That's the view of the Ran. Now, the Rambam agrees that Bishalakim and Pat Akum are two uh, different halachot and two, with, you know, two different Gizeh wrote, but he sees it as being the opposite. They're a different Gizeh wrote because Pat Akum is much more lenient than a Bishal Akum. So now let's look at these two Rambam. Now, we already saw the Rambam with regard to a Bishal Akum. So first, let's look at the one he says about Patokum, then we'll review on a Bishlachim. So the next uh, source you have, the Rambam, in uh, his um, This is regarding uh, If a non-Jew lights the fire and a Jew uh, bakes in it. Or the Jew lights the fire of the oven and a non-Jew bakes in it. Or a non-Jew lit the fire, a non-Jew baked in it, and a Jew came and, you know, um, ignited the fire, blew the uh, fire. Or he, you know, he either raised the heat or lowered it. Since the Jew was involved in a, some way in a baking this bread, the bread is now allowed. It is now on kosher. Even if all the Jew did was throw a little stick into the oven, that allows all of the bread in this oven. Sheein hadavar ella liot heker, shehapat shelahem asura. Because a Jew doesn't actually have to be involved in the baking of the bread. You just need a heker. You need a reminder. You need some sort of symbolic action just to remind you that hey, they're not us. You you can eat this bread but you can't get too close uh, to them. Because really this bread is a kosher. There's nothing wrong with this bread. So it's enough to have some, some sort of symbolic action. It could be just, you know, adjusting the flame to remind you that off limits. You know, there's a social a distance that has to be maintained. So when it comes to patakum, all the Jew has to do is a sim, a symbolic act of an involvement. What does the Rambam say with regard to Abishalakum? And this we've already seen, but we'll look at it again. When it comes to Abishalakum, the same parak, Halacha Tet Azayin, the Rambam requires a much more um, meaningful intervention on behalf of the Jew. Here he writes, we're not talking about bread. Dagim ketanim shmachan Israel. So you're talking about uh, fish that a Jew uh, salts. So that's okay because it's like uh, cooking. Um, now just skip to the comma. So if a Jew, if a non-Jew goes and roasts the the fish that the Jew already uh, salted, that's fine. As long as the Jew uh, cooked. The food a little bit. Whether it's at the beginning, it's at the end. Mutar. The food is allowed. It's a kosher. So if a non-Jew puts meat or a pot on the fire, and the Jew turns the meat over, and he stirs the pot, or the non-Jew put it on, and or the Jew put it on, and the non-Jew uh, finished it, it's allowed. So the Jew just has to do one act. However, what do we see? It needs to be an act which actually uh, furthers the uh, cooking. It's not enough to do a sim, a symbolic act as it is by Pat Akum. So we see that for the Rambam too, like the Ran, the laws of Bishalakum and Pat Akum are uh, different. They have uh, different laws. However, for the Rambam, it's Pat Akum which is more lenient. In this case, as long as a Jew does a symbolic act, it could be as little as uh, throwing a little uh, straw into the fire that's adequate and makes the food a kosher. By a bishalakum, on the other hand, the Jew must contribute to the cooking a process. 
So for this reason, Pat Akum and Abishal Akum are listed as two uh, different Isurim prohibitions in the uh, Mishnah. They're not the same. They have their own halachot which apply to them. Um, so now we are going to see a very major uh, difference between Pat Akum and Abishal Akum is the uh, fact that we don't actually uh, hold of this. And we eat hot akum nowadays. And I mean, you know, we're, we're not always aware of this because of the, you know, very, uh, um, you know, the Akashas organizations and that's, you know, living in the US at least, certainly Israel, but you know, we don't have to read the labels to see what we can eat. You know, Kashrut is such a large and powerful organization that we have the luxury of having hashkacha on uh, foods and not having to worry about, you know, what's in this food or not. We're taken a care of. However, a lot of breads which have a hashkacha are indeed pot akum. Um, I don't know, but I assume, you know, Thomas's English muffins doesn't have a Jew uh, turning on the oven. So why? Why do we eat pot akum nowadays? And why is this a prohibition that really is not very relevant, other than, as we'll learn, the days between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. So the seeds for this, of the leniencies of pot akum, are already found a little bit in the Babli. It's a machlok at whether it is in the Babli, and very much so in the Yeruah uh, Shalmi. So, from the, so we, we are now turning to uh, section three, which is why do we eat pot akum? We just spent all this time, according to the Ron, it's very, very uh, strict, and yet we eat pot akum nowadays. Um, so, we turn now to the Sugya, also in Avodazara, on this Mishnah, on the words of the Mishnah that have a pot. Lamed hey Amad bet, and again, um, I've labeled it the the Hebrew and Aramaic um, in accordance with you know the English translation, so you can uh, follow along. Vehapat and bread. So that was in our, our Mishnah. Remember, our our Mishnah said vehapat v'shem shalom. Amar of Kanamar of Yochanan said Rav Yochanan the name of Rav Yochanan pat lo hutra beabetin. Bread was not um, made allowed by the court. The Beitin never um, allowed uh, a bread. Meaning, well, I mean, why would it say that? The Peshat is, because what did the Vishnu say? So Rebbe and his court um, allowed oil. They revoked the prohibition against having non-Jewish oil. So Rabbi Yochanan comes to say, but when it comes to, to a bread, Rabbi and his abatin never re-evoked the prohibition against bread. And you, and you can just read it that and nothing more. But the Bavli, however, makes an in a prince. So line B, it says, that implies that there was someone who did uh, permit bread Meaning, from the fact that the Rabbi Yochanan points out that the Abaytin, that the court never allowed bread, it, meaning it was only the, the, that Abaytin who didn't permit bread. Implication is that there was another person who did allow a bread in. Yeah, there was someone who did permit a bread. And now it brings two anecdotes, which it's hard to know if these apports, uh, uh, what was uh, just said, or coming to uh, challenge it. So uh, story number one. When Reb Adimi came from the land of Israel to Ababel, he said the following. Rebbe, of course, talking about Rebbe Yehuda Hanasi, Rebbe Yehuda, the a prince of the Mishnah, he once went to the field. And a Anju brought before him 
um, bed, a, a bread baked in this big oven. I brought you Rashi who explained, you know, who explains what a Purani is, who tanur. It's an oven which is very big and its opening is to the side. Okay. Mafesa, ah, made flour. So, and Amar Rebbe, Rebbe said, wow, come on, uh, Patso, how nice is this bread? Like this artisan bread, made by the non-Jew and whole uh, foods is so nice. Why did the rabbis prohibit it? So that's what Rebbe said. Then says Rebbe, so then asked Ige Amara, Mara Uchachamim, what do you mean why the rabbis prohibited? We know why. Mishem Chatnim, because of intermarriage. So that can't be what Rebbe said. Rather, Ella, this is what really what Rebbe said. Mara Uchachamim Osra Basadeh. Why did the rabbis prohibit Patakum in a field? Rashi says, why specifically a field? Rashi explains, Deleka because in the field you're, you're, you're not having a nice sit down meal just a, it's an ad hoc meal so there's no concern that people will you know grow too close to each other um, so in the field why would the rabbis pivot pot akum? so that's what Rebbe said that led people to think that Rebbe had allowed patakum. It says, Rebbe Adimi Lohi, but that's not the case. Rebbe Lohi, Tir et Hapat. Rebbe did not permit bread. So meaning, what Rebbe Adimi is uh, saying is that there were people who mistakenly assumed that Rebbe had revoked the prohibition against patakum. It says, Rebbe Adimi, that never happened. Rebbe never allowed it. People only thought uh, he had. Then Rebbe Yosef now says the same thing. Number two, Rebbe Yosef itema Rebbe Shmuel bar Yehuda Amar. So either Rebbe Yosef or Rebbe Shmuel said, lo No, no, that's not what happened. Ella, rather, this is what happened. Amru, um, this is this is the this is the case that happened with Rebbe. One time Rebbe went to a place and he saw that the, the students had no uh, food. They had no food uh, for them. Amar Rebbe, so Rebbe said, Rebbe said, is there no uh, baker here? Again, says Rebbe Yosef, the people mistakenly thought that Rebbe asks, is there any non-Jewish baker? But again, but he was only asking, is there a Jewish baker? So to sum up, Rebbe Adimi says that people thought that Rebbe had permitted pot akum in the field, but they're wrong, says Rebbe Adimi. Rebbe never did, but people uh, thought he did. Then Rebbe Yosef or Rebbe Shemal says, that people thought Rebbe had permitted pot akum made by a non-Jewish baker, but again, they were wrong. Rebbe never re-evoked pot akum in this way. So for both Redimi and Rebbe Yosef, Rebbe never permitted pot akum. But the way you'd have to read the line B of this get Amar is that people uh, thought he had. Okay, but this is but the Gemara does not end here. And now the Gemara seems to uh, shift from Reb Dimi and Reb Yosef and go back to line uh, B, which is Mechal Dikaman de Shari that there that implies that there were people who allowed it. And in yeah, there were people who allowed it. So now go to line C. Ama Reb Chelbo. Reb Chalbo said, even those who allowed non-Jewish uh, bakers of bread, that only applies to where there's no Jewish uh, baker. But if there is a Jewish uh, baker, then no. Then, then that opinion would not allow you to buy the bread baked by a non-Jewish uh, baker. That's Rav Chabot. 
for Rabbi Yochan Amar, and now Rabbi Yochan says in an empty, I feel manzamar parts of Beit Kochavim. Even those who say you can have five from a non-Jewish baker, Hanemile, Heimem is Hanemile. This only applies, these words are Bisade in the field. Aval Beir, but in a city, low. In a city, you would not be allowed to buy non-kosher baked, I mean, non-Jewish baked bread, Mishan, Chatnut, because of intermarriage. Okay, so on the one hand, we just saw Rabdimi and Reb Yosef say that people thought Rebbe allowed non-Jewish baked bread either in the field or if there's no Jewish baker, but they're, but they're wrong. Rebbe never allowed it. And now we have Reb Chabo and Reb Yochanan saying that Pat Akum is only prohibited according to Reb Chabo when there is a Jewish baker. But Pat Akum is permitted when there's no Jewish baker. And Reb Yochanan says that Pat Akum is only prohibited in the city. But it's permitted in the field. And by a field, we mean you're not having this nice uh, sit a damn meal. People just kind of a snack in this ad hoc kind of manner and eat together and come and go. And it's nothing that would lead to a relationship. Um, so they seem to say someone did allow pot. Akum, and yes, there are maybe limits on it. It's only in the field, only when there's no Jewish a baker. But they seem to contradict what Rav Dimi and Rav Yosef said. And now let's just read uh, the last line in this Amara, where this now seems to go back to Rav Dimi and Rav Yosef. Ibo have a manchitz pat pa abe mitzri. So a man named Ibo was eating the bread of a, of a non-Jew in the house of a, a Egyptian in the fields, Rashi explains. Amalu Rava. So Rava said to them, and some say it was Reb Nachman Bar Yitzchak who said, Lo tishtahu minei Ibo. Don't uh, talk to Ibo. Don't listen to him. Because he eats the bread of a non-Jew. Stay away from this guy. He eats non-Jewish bread. So this seems to now hark to Rev Yosef and Rev Adimi, who say no one ever allowed patakum. And now Rav is coming to say, so that guy who eats patakum, stay away from him. He's not listening to what the halacha is. Um, so we see kind of two different uh, voices in this Amara. On one hand, Rav Dimi and Rav Yosef who say, yeah, there were some people who thought that Rebbe allowed Patakum, but that never happened. And then Rav Chabo, Rav Yochanan, giving these mitigating uh, factors to when Patakum would be allowed. Um, now, there's a really uh, great run on the Dape Harif you know, if this was a Talmud, uh, of course, I would go into it and how he uh, shows the, the uh, different ways to read this. Um, so either you can say that uh, Reb Chalbo and Reb Yochanan are just explaining what these people who thought Rebbe permitted said, meaning these people who were wrong, when they were wrong and they thought Rebbe per, per, permitted pot alchum, it was either only in the field or it was only when there's no non-Jewish baker. But meaning, Reb Chabot, Reb Yochan are not giving their actual opinions on the matter. They're just uh, telling what, what these misdaken uh, people uh, thought. That's one way you could read it. Or another way to read it is that Reb Chabot and Reb Yochanan do disagree with Reb, Reb, with Reb Dimi, that there is actually a fundamental dispute in this sugya. And the dispute is between uh, basically lines B, B which says that implies that there was a person who allowed it, and in, yes, there was. And so Reb Chabo and Reb Yochanan agree with the a voice of uh, B. And that's one view in this uh, sugya. And the, the other view is Reb Dimi and Reb Yosef who say, no, this was never allowed. And B, you are wrong. Rebbe, Rebbe, Pat Lohutru Abetin, 
and no one ever allowed it. And you can't make that in a prince that you make um, line a B. That's what Rabbi Yosem and Rabbi Adini would say, whereas Rabbi Chabon and Rabbi Yochan would say, no, yes, you can make that in a prince. From the fact that the Beitin didn't permit bread, that implies that there was one who did permit bread, and when they allowed a bread, either it's where there's no Jewish baker or in the field. Okay, so those are two uh, different ways, and there are more, but at least two ways we can make sense of this uh, sugya. Either everyone in the Bavli agrees that bread was never made aloud, and the only people who uh, did think it was made aloud were people who were wrong, and it's those people who, who were wrong who Rem Chabot and Rabbi Yochanan um, just explains, or there's a fundamental dispute in this uh, sugya between Rabbi Adimi and Rabbi Yosef, who say it was never made um, a kosher, uh, versus Rabbi Chabot and Rabbi Yochanan and the anonymous voice of line of B, who says, no, there was um, a view which said pot akum was made per omitted. So with this in mind, so we already see in the Bavli that there are these uh, seeds for saying pot akum is per omitted. So we're gonna look at what Atosfot says about this. The medieval, the medieval rabbis of Ashkenaz. Um, and they say the following. So the next uh, source you have on page three, Tosfos on our Gemara. on the bet. On the line, line uh, B, that implies that there is someone who allowed Patakum. From the fact that Rabbi Yochanan said bread was not allowed in the uh, court, that implies that if the court wanted to have a Sharia, then they could have allowed Patakum. If the court wanted to, meaning so he's making a, a toast votes are making a different in inference, not the inference of line of B, from the fact that the court didn't allow it and implies that, okay, maybe they didn't, but other uh, people did, no. Says a toast votes from the fact that it says the court didn't allow it, that indicates that had the court wanted to, the court uh, could have allowed pot aquam. And how is that? How could a court have revoked a prohibition in the uh, Mishnah? Says a toast Alma, consequently, lo pashat isuro. It's because this original prohibition upon Akum never actually uh, spread. It never took root all over. Umikan, and from here, tamchu ata lechopat we, us Jews living in medieval Ashkenaz, rely on this nowadays to eat pot hakum. Kevan shalo pashat isuro b'chol Yisrael. Since the prohibition never uh, spread to all of the Jews. And we can also rely on another principle set forth by Rashmon which has said that we don't make a decree against, you know, on the Jewish people unless most of the people can abide it. And Toso seems to be uh, saying, prohibiting pot akum is not a practical. It's not realistic to say Jews cannot eat the bread baked by a non-Jew. Now, this is because one, as I mentioned, I think bread was the staple of the, the human a diet for a very long time. They didn't have, you know, lasagna one night chicken something the other night people's main means of food was uh, bread and bread like uh foods so if you pro if you make it hard to eat a bread 
people won't have anything to eat. Now, why was it so hard to eat a bread if you pro if you prohibited hot akum? As I mentioned, I think last week and week before, that in medieval Europe, especially um, in uh, Germany, well, all over medieval Europe, people didn't necessarily own their own ovens. It was hot, it was dangerous, and often there was one oven for the whole uh, city, the whole uh, town, um, and it was generally, could have been owned by the feudal lord or the nobleman, and the oven was uh, therefore often not at the Jews' disposal. I know later on in more modern Europe, you know, often people didn't have the means, you know, even if people could own their own ovens, there weren't, they, they didn't necessarily have the oven necessary to make bread. It would be made in the non-kosher of bakery. Um, but uh, certainly in medieval Europe, there was often just one oven for everyone to use. And if you prohibited patakum, there's a good a chance that Jews are not be able to have any kind of bread whatsoever. Because often they also, if it's not their oven, they also aren't in control of who bakes in the oven either. And also what we mentioned last time, that the prevalence of uh, slaves doing domestic labor was also a very huge factor. And many of the halacho um, related to a kashrut and you know, making bread is no uh, different as well. So says uh, 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 Tosfot, it's not realistic to prohibit pot akum. And it's not a prohibition that the people would be able to live with. They would go hungry. And what's the halachic justification for that? We see from this Amara that this was a prohibition that from the fact that the baiting could have evoked it had they wanted to, proves that it never spread to all the Jewish people. So it was a weak prohibition to be a give with. So there's the, a practical re, reality on the ground that the Bale Hatosva deal with, that we don't control our ovens. And we won't have anything to eat if we don't allow pot akum. But there's also the halachic hanker, the halachic justification of being, it's not enough to just say, well, this is what people do, so we'll allow it. But we can also find an anchor for it in the get, in the get amara itself. That we see that this was never a prohibition that spread to all the Jewish people. And that, and that must be why had the big team wanted to, it could have revoked it. Now, while it's not clear from the Bible, we see there are two views, whether Patakum ever was actually revoked or not, it's actually quite clear from the Yeru Chalmi that it was. And now we'll turn to the next uh, text, the bottom of page three. This is the parallel Yeru Chalmi uh, on our uh, Mishnah. So it talks about piatan, which is pot, you know, a pita bread. That's where that's where pot, you know, that's bread, pot akum like a pita. So they're bread. Rabbi Yaakov bar Acha b'shem Rabbi Yonatan. So Rabbi Acha bar Acha said the name of Rabbi Yochanan, Yonatan. Sorry, pot mehelchot mehalachot shel im umhi. So the law allowing pot hakum. Is the tra- uh, translation here is, is an irregular measure, meaning it's not something which is normally a duck. Why? So I skipped a little bit, but it's going to explain it. Makom she'en patisra el If you're in a place where there's no a Jewish baked bread, pat asura. By law, pat should still be prohibited. But but they acted irregularly and they allowed it. Why? Because this is a matter of life. If there's no bread, then people won't be able to live. They'll go hungry. If there's no bread, you have to allow the bread. If that's the only bread available, allow patakum. Rabbanan de Kesarim, Bishem Rabbi Yaakov Bar Acha, 
says the rabbis of Caesarea, which was a very big uh, city during the Talmudic era, just, you know, come to Israel, see the archaeological site of Caesarea. So the rabbis there said in the name of Rabbi Yaakov Bar-Acha, so even according with the position who allows eating patakum, it's only if the bread was baked by a baker. But they never allowed bread baked by just a regular, not a Jewish homeowner. You know, just a regular balabas, a balabite. But lo abdinke. However, they don't actually practice the law like that. They have patakum even of regular non-Jews and not just uh, bakers. So we see that while the Bavli uh, incurs that there was a place which allowed patakum, the Shalmi uh, provides definitive testimony that that was indeed the case. Patakum was allowed. Uh, definitely in the cosmopolitan city of Caesarea. Uh, By the way, there weren't just uh, uh, Jews living there. It was a very big uh, population of Samaritans, pagan Romans, very big Roman uh, city with, with a large Jewish uh, presence as well. So we see this is not just a theoretical inference uh, that the Babli makes, that Pat Akum actually was re-evoked in the land of Israel. And the rush, the last of the Tosafists, uh, brings this Yerushalmi as another proof, another justification for dispensing with the prohibition against Pat Akum. So he cites the Yerushalmi as well. First he, and, and he says, and so first he cites the Yerushalmi, and then being a Tosafist, he also says the same thing that the, a Tos book says. Mitik Amar Tamuda, from the fact that our Ababli says, Mechal Sharigan, our line of B, that implies that there was one who allowed Patakum. Mashma, that implies not what a Tos book says, that they could allow it if they wanted to, but Mashma Sheya Hayalahem, Sheyesh Mikomot Shinohagim Boheter. By our Bobli in line B, in occurring that there were places which must have allowed Patakum, that wasn't just theoretical. It's because they knew there were places which allowed Patakum. What's the proof of that? The Yerushalmi. And now says the Rush, and if you're in a place where a people are lenient and eat Patakum, what does that show? Lo pashat sham isuro. That must be a place where the prohibition never uh, spread in the first place. And this is what the great rabbis rely on when they allow the people in the places where they live to eat parakum. And they don't... So they don't prevent them. They don't prohibit them from eating pot alcohol. This is why. Because we see that there were a places which did allow pot alcohol. And if you're living in a place where people eat pot alcohol, that indicates that that was a place where the prohibition never spread in the first place. So A says the rush, there are places where the prohibition never came to in the first place. But then he says more. Even if you live in a place where the prohibition uh, uh, spread, you even have room to be lenient. Okay, so he says, first we'll just finish up. If you live in a place where you're lenient, it's a place where the prohibition never spread. And it's a proven, and it's also a proven later on that bread, the prohibition never spreads all of Israel. But then he says, even if you live in a place where the where the prohibition does apply, if you're in a place where there's been no food for three days, 
פת שעובד כוכבים מותר מפני חיי נפש. She invokes again that you, Charles, uh, if you're in a place with no food for three days, you can have פת אקלם to save your life. וברוב מקומות פזורנו אין פלטר ישראל מצוי. And most of the places of our egg, child, most of the places where us Jews now live, there are no Jewish bakers. So even if you can get bread, maybe, but there's no Jewish baker, it's as if you haven't had food for three days and you also can have pot akum. וגם בירושלמי שכתב לאל, כמר שמו עליו, יתרו בפניכי נפש, מקום שאין פעי סתם בצויה. And we also saw in the Yerushalmi that they allowed פת אקום משום חיי נפש to, you know, help preserve on their life because there was no Jewish bread available. So to review what we've done, we, we haven't seen everyone here, but at least we'll see. Um, so why don't we keep פת אקום? So, so far we've seen uh, a Tosfos who said, my camera's in front of me, I think, since the prohibition uh, didn't spread to every place, therefore a beitin could revoke uh, uh, it. And if you live in a place where people aren't following it, even, even if the beitin didn't actively revoke it, that must be one of those places where the prohibition never spread in the first place. Um, the rush gives two answers. Um, I'll say number two first, I don't know why I did in this order, but it didn't even spread to all our countries, like uh, France and Spain. So therefore, we don't have to uh, observe it. And he also adds, well, there's no Jewish baker, and hence it's Chaye uh, Nefesh. It's a matter of, you know, he says, life preservation now. Does he mean, it's just that there's no... You know, meaning I'm making my own bread, but there's no nice artisan bread coming from a bakery. I'm just making my own bread. You know, not clear, but if there's no Jewish baker, then you that's another reason to eat pot akum, even if you live in a place where pot akum still applies. And, you know, I, I have to note that the rush, though he was a toast, he moved from Ashkenaz to where we know Tosa says people were not following Padakum to Sifarad, milieu, where we know the Rambam says Padakum does apply. We can be much more lean with regard to Padakum than Abishalakum, but unlike the Tosafit, Rambam does not say Padakum is inapplicable. It does apply. Jew can be involved in any minuscule sort of way, but we still have to be uh, strict for it. Whereas the Russians uh, comes to say, even if you're in this place where maybe we're following the Rambam and a Jew should be involved, but if there's no Jewish baker, you could be lean and have patakum if the Jew didn't throw the straw into the fire or adjust the heat, as it were. Okay, but next time we're going to kind of continue with this and we'll see um, how the Rambam dealt with the... Uh, this get Amara between, uh, you know, Reb Dimi and Reb Yosef and Reb Chabo, um, and what the law is lahalacha. But uh, it seems our, our time has come to an end, and I uh, could go over, but I feel like maybe I uh, shouldn't. So thank you all so much, and um, I look forward to learning with everyone again next week. And we'll I will review, you know, this. Uh, in order to then see what these other opinions, which we're going to look at the Ran and the Rambam as well. So everyone have a wonderful week and uh, thank you so much. Next week we'll continue. Thank you. Okay. Thank you, uh, Dr. Um, uh, Strauchik, for a great, great, great uh, class. I'm looking forward to continuing next week. And thank you to everyone who joined us today on Zoom, on Drisha Live, on Facebook. We are going to continue our fall programming tomorrow at 1 p.m. with the fourth part of a multi-part series by Dr. Hanan Gafni on the origins of academic Jewish studies. In addition to this class, we have many more classes happening right now. You can find out more information as well as the registration links 
on our website at drisha.org classes or watch them live at drisha.org live. Thank you again, uh, Dr. Strauss-Schick for this opportunity to learn with you. And for everyone who attended, uh, we hope to see you soon at one of our upcoming classes at Drisha.